Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Everyone, thanks for jumping on the Western Hunting Home Podcast. Have a little bit of a raspy voice. I waited a few days to get this episode out because I was behind and uh, had no voice, but going on day five of a rough voice so we'll see how this one goes i'll make matt do most of the talking but i have matt from valley view taxidermy in spearfish south dakota on and we're just going to talk a little bit about hunting about a big old monster bear he shot this last spring and then also maybe some hunts he's got planned also some some mistakes hunters make in the field when preparing their trophy to take to the taxidermist and some of those steps that you can take to ensure that that you get a good quality product when it comes back from the tax service. So thanks for listening. Hey, Matt, thanks for jumping on my podcast this morning. And uh, if you would, just real quick, introduce yourself. We are taxidermy background, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I'm Matt Peterson. I'm in Spearfish, South Dakota. Um, so I've been doing taxidermy for probably 10 years. I had a business for five. Um, loved every minute of it so far. Uh, it's fun to see all the different critters come in every year, get to talk hunting stories every day. Um, Lots of BS time with hunters. It is. There's <laughs> <laughs> Some people stick around for a little longer than they probably should, but uh, that's better than not. So um, uh, I've been married for five years, and... Um, my wife's also a big hunter. Uh, we've done a lot of hunting in quite a few places together. She just um, had a, had an article a little in a, was a Western hunter. Yes. Yeah, so Western hunter accepted her, one of her articles that she wrote, which is, I mean, I'm always impressed with her writing, but hmm. that was really special. And then also a sporting classics except, accepted the same one. So that'll be next year when that comes out. Um, but that's pretty fun to get some. Yeah, no kidding. Get those. She has them framed in her office. 
Yeah. As no, that's just impressive. Uh, uh, achievements, I guess. Um, so yes, we're both big hunters. We've done a lot of stuff together. We pretty much go everywhere together. Um, kind of what's, what started you, uh, like academic wise, <clears throat> looking at, at high school, like when you're in high school, what said, I want to be a taxidermist or, or when, what was your pathway into to getting started with this? Uh, so actually I started when I was really young, I was probably 12, maybe, um, just messing around with squirrels, messing around with raccoons and, I did shoot uh, the first year I started doing taxidermy. I shot the biggest deer I ever shot and <laughs> mounted that, which uh, that one has been remounted. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But um, really, it was just I loved taxidermy. Like, I loved, I, I had a couple of mounts done and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. So I was like, well, I can't be that hard. I'm always willing to try something new. Um, well, it turned out it was that hard. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I did a lot of taxidermy competitions, which that was a huge help. Uh, the judges, they really helped me um, narrow down what I was doing wrong and um, helped me get better. Uh, I worked for another taxidermist for three years, and that was a huge help. We built a couple big trophy rooms. Um and there's just a lot of good pointers in there as far as taxidermy work goes. Um, so, yeah, I've been pretty much all over the country doing taxidermy with that other company. And um, yeah, finally moved back to South Dakota and opened my own shop. So Yeah, um, and I do want to touch more on the taxidermy side, but let's, let's look into some hunting stuff that we got going on. So what's your, what's your fall looking like? Well, I, I, we got... So we, we got some cow elk tags. Um, my wife and I each drew our West River any deer tags, so that was exciting. Uh, and then we're going to hit archery hard. So yeah, yeah. Um, um, two and days, it, two days, and antelope season opens. So oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you end up balancing that when you got these hunts you want to do yourself and you know hunters are going to be contacting you because they got to get something on ice or in the cooler or skinned out or something yeah. like that. What's the, how are you balancing that? It's a, it's pretty much if I want to go, I just got to go. I mean, there's never a good time to go. Um, typically mornings are slower. So if I can go out in the morning, it's, that's always an option. Um, but as far as like traveling to an area to go hunting, I just got to make sure that most time I have service and I leave a voicemail or set my voicemail. So people know who to contact if they have to have just something dropped off. Um, usually people are pretty, um, understanding. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I'm, if I call, if they call me and I am out hunting, uh, they're like, Oh, awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I always have somebody that I can, have meet them if they really need to drop it off. Yeah, that's um, handy. Uh, but it's pretty much. I mean, I I'm not gonna just not go hunting. No I'm kidding. Just sit here waiting for somebody to come. So yeah, no kidding. You, you're in this because that the, the hunting portion is is your passion. You want to. You just wanted to preserve preserve <clears throat> that memory for people. So it's still yep. like if you weren't a hunter, I, mean, I think that'd probably take away. 
from oh, the, yeah. the artistry that you're doing. I mean, For this sure. is not just something anybody can pick up. It's it's definitely an an art. And I'd like later to talk a little bit about choosing a, a taxidermist, how you tell the difference yep. between a good and a bad. But you and your wife just shot monster bears up north this spring. We did. Yeah. Tell us about that. That hunt. was that was a great experience. So she actually got me that hunt for my birthday. Uh, kind of a surprise. I didn't really know who we were going with or and anything about them. So we just she surprised me with that. It was in 20, I believe it was 2020. So obviously we couldn't go to Canada for several years. Um, so that all got delayed till this spring. Um, but it went really, really well. I mean, uh, getting up to Canada was no problem. Uh, we ended up driving into Canada and then catching a flight um, just because it was ex- ex- um quite expensive to fly from here so um that was no problem six hours up there and caught a flight over um then it was a we had had a week plan to shoot bears and we ended up both shooting our bears about a minute apart the first night (laughs) (laughs) which i mean some people would rather wait but that was the very beginning of the rut for the black bears Mm -hmm. and uh the guy we were with said, if that big one shows up, don't let him walk because he might not show up again if he's going to be chasing us out. Yeah. And there's so. there's uh, some spring baiting seasons. I think Idaho does that as well as, obviously, your eastern states. Um, yeah. And so people are starting. I know Minnesota, like my, my hunt that's going to be coming up, they just started baiting, or they will be here shortly. And and so I that's new to me. Um, rifle hunted bears for sure, but I need some tips. Like what's, uh, so I would say, I mean, Canada is a different ball game than I would say down here. Mm-hmm. I know that there's different rules and, um, regulations as far as what you can use down here up there. We were using, um, just he had oats and he'd go to the restaurants and get all the grease from cooking or whatever. And then um, they had a beaver. That was like the main the main thing was hanging a beaver in the tree. Huh. But he said a couple of years back, they if you had a beaver, it had to be skinned um, because then it you weren't wasting the fur or whatever. But I know some states are kind of have different rules about that. I'm not sure if you can sure. use a beaver as bait. I mean, it's a it's technically a game animal, so I don't know. You have to check on the state regulations as, as if you could use a beaver. But I'll tell you what, those bears, they like the beaver. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. What about, <laughs> just at all. <clears throat> what about field judging? And I know your outfitter had good trail camera so, pictures pointing yeah. out, it's like, hey, this is the one. But yeah, that's one thing that, that has me. I'm always – hunting bears in Colorado you don't always have a ton of time it's you see them out there they're making their way across the hillside they're in the brush but then they're they're in a clearing you don't got a ton of time sometimes so how and you're probably 20 30 yards maybe um or less but what are some of those field judging advice pieces you'd have so I mean when I went up there I was pretty much a rookie I had no idea 
I'd only seen a couple bears in my life, let alone know what a good one looked like. Um, but he, that was one thing that was really helpful with going with a guide. I mean, you spend a little bit more money, but you, uh, within a few days, you are pretty much an expert. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just because yeah. he, he explains to you and he tells you exactly what you're looking for and he can give you real life examples. Um, so one thing that was really cool to me was he was saying those big boars in hunting season in the spring will almost never be rubbed because they're trying to look a certain way for the sows. So both the bears that we shot, I mean, they were both 10 plus year old boars, um, just had unbelievable coats on them. And that was one thing that stood out because we, I mean, I hunted for probably a half hour, <laughs> but I had, I had five different bears show up in that time frame, And I mean, it was, it was a, not even a comparison as far as the hair quality. Um, but also the size, I mean, the big boars, you hardly can see their ears. They, they just walk, they have a different walk to them and they, their legs look short and they, yeah, I, don't, I would I would have to look at pictures. I would say look at some pictures and get an idea. But until you actually see a see a mature bear, you're not going to know. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, I've always looked for those the spacing between the ears. Um, fall bears shouldn't be rubbed at all. I mean, you still get the ones with the goofy coats to them. Um, yeah, but they're they're you know had a whole summer of of growing hair and then they're they're bulking up for winter time and and getting that nice thick coat to them so um yeah so we got fall bear season coming up here pretty darn quick uh did your guide give you anything on shot placement was that any different it was i was i would have probably shot him in the wrong spot honestly i mean he was telling me so a bear's probably the most wounded animal um that's what I've heard is it's the most wounded animal in the U S hmm. and Canada. Um, just because people don't know shot placement. Um, when he was, when we were getting ready to go, he was sending us some videos on shot placement and, uh, it's the middle of the middle. So up and down from his back to his belly and then from his front shoulder to his back leg, the middle of the middle is the middle of his lungs. So, Huh. He's sitting that further back. Yeah, I was on my bear. It was probably a foot behind the shoulder. Hmm. Um, and I mean, obviously, you can go closer to the shoulder, but there's a lot of uh, empty space up there. Hmm. Well, that's good because that's where my bow likes to drift anyway. So, <laughs> like, I... <laughs> I mean, we both shot our bears exactly where he told us to put it, put it, put our arrows. And uh, hers ran about forty yards, and mine went eighty. So that's awesome. Well, no problem. What uh, what other hunts you got planned? Then what's um you got your archery? You're gonna hit hard. What uh, what style of hunting? Um, what do you what? I'm assuming that's that's mule deer. You're probably gonna be going after. Um, probably open ground. I'm assuming. Tell us a little bit about your game plan. Yeah. So we. We all got our um, access permits for up north, and we're going to go up there and walk around, um, chase muleys. That's definitely the early season game. 
Uh, we just love shooting mealies, but um, I also have lots of um, good spots up in the hills that I um, can go run up quick before work or whatever. Um, so that it's kind of a hit and miss, whatever becomes the opportunity. Um, we do have a couple weekends planned to run out chasing mealies. Um, obviously, that's all spot and stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out for myself. <clears throat> I've planned all my my more extensive hunts, uh, but my bow hunt, I it's hard to plan because I it's just like right here. Like I could go, <clears throat> but yeah, my house and <laughs> yeah, I, I could literally just go out the door or um, head out onto the prairie, which that's ultimately what I'd really like to do. And I've got spot picked out and everything. Uh, and sad thing is I had trail cameras, like new ones bought, new cell cameras bought, all charged up or new batteries, cards, like in a backpack ready to go months ago. And it was like, it didn't happen. (laughs) There was nothing about that that was happening. And I like, I don't know when I would ever do this. (laughs) I I don't know when I'm going to do it. So it never happened. And now I'm going to be going in blind, but I'm trying to think I got September October and really early November, the first two weeks. And, and, uh, um, I had John Stallone from Howl for Wildlife on, and he's, he's a South Dakota guide. Uh, he, he said it was like first couple weeks, November is what he said. That's when I'd be archery hunting before that West river season. But I don't know. I I don't know if I can wait that long. There's gotta be another, there's gotta be another window in there of, of good hunting. Um, I love that first two weeks of September, excuse me. Um, first two weeks of September is one of my favorite times. Why is Um, that? Well, you can kind of catch bucks more in the summer patterns. Um, after that, they kind of just break up and October, they pretty much disappear. I don't know what it is about October, but right. You can't hardly find anything in October, but the first couple weeks of September, those bucks are really stuck, stick, sticking to their summer patterns. And uh, that's a really good time to to shoot a deer. Here's you can get them in velvet. That I think a lot of people chase chase that opportunity. But once you have one in velvet, I'm kind of a hard horn guy myself. So oh, I'm glad to hear you say that because <laughs> I'm gonna say the same thing. It's like I don't. I this is a contentious thing, and I know people would be like, "You're an idiot," but I don't want a buck of the velvet. Like I literally do not want to hunt if that's what I'm going to be shooting. I yep. do not want a buck in the velvet. There's something about a chocolate horn mule deer. Um, I, I've shot a, at a beautiful, I think he scored like 171 or 172 uh, early, early season in Colorado. He was, I think, velvet at the time, and then a buddy's dad ended up shooting him with a muzzleloader not long after. Um, and I actually am the one that put the last arrow in him. He shot him with a muzzleloader, and then we were fine, scoring the hillside for him because uh, he had a big old wound in his front shoulder, and he was bedded, and I, we were looking all over this hillside, and I snuck up on him and, and stuck the last one in him. But uh, it uh, it had rubbed everything off in, overnight, and those tines were like pink daggers. Yeah, yeah. And they sure. were sharp, sharp, sharp. Nothing to them, no color to them. Uh, and so 
at the taxidermist. Of course, they do a little something to it to give it a little color, but it just didn't seem right. I, I don't. And then there's the velvet. Like you got to do some treatment to it, otherwise it's going to straight rot. It's not not what I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, the velvet's very um, very touchy touchy part. I mean, it, it can rot faster than anything. So that's uh, I, I see a lot of people that don't take care of it properly, or um, it just sits out in the sun for too long and it's toast. That so. or the the fake velvet. I hate it. I don't like yeah, it. Fake, vel- fake velvet is too perfect. Yeah. It, yeah you, they can get the right color, but they can't get the hair patterns. Right. You, I can see that in a picture and say, that's not real. Yep. And I 100%. I, I think you, you see a, a really nice set of antlers. It's like, you just ruined it. Just absolutely <laughs> ruined it. I can't. You <laughs> did because we covered it in glue. Yeah. Exactly. So this is a good transition to start talking about uh, some of these taxidermy uh, items and, and what guys do in the field. So with a velvet buck we're in this early season, what's the what's your game plan? I mean, maybe it's not you and I that, that end up shooting that velvet buck, but lots of people will. Um, Remy Warren just shot a sweet 3x3 three three in Nevada, I think it was, and he's shooting his mouth tab uh, already. Um because he's got a bum arm or something like that, and so really? yeah, he he had like surgery and then it went bad. And um, but this is an August velvet buck. Those things got to be soft. Uh, so I, I, it's a very touchy subject. I mean, the velvet in general it can either be good or it can be bad to start with. So some deer just grow faster and finish their their horns get harder sooner. Um, and then others, they just, they just wait until middle of of September. Hmm. So when their horns are still soft, it can be uh, quite the, uh, challenge. I could say to get them taken care of properly just because that whole antler is still essentially meat. Right. So that's a little bit more of a challenge there's some different ways that we can go about doing that uh, with freeze drying or um, uh, freeze drying is pretty much the only way to get the really soft ones to uh, turn out. But most of the mature deer, when you can hunt them, will be pretty well hard horned. I've noticed that most of the ones that are still soft are younger deer. Um, so I what? would say majority the ones that I do are mature deer, but is there, is there, I I hear things about a spray that you spray on. You could as a hunter, is there that or injections, anything like that? So the spray I've heard, I, when it first came out, I thought it was a joke. Um, and I'm sure every taxidermist did, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. So maybe, my my thoughts are not right, but sure. To me, when I inject an antler, there's all the veins that go up the antler. You can see it. You can see the veins when they're scraped, and they have little indentions in the antler. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm essentially injecting that antler um, tan into the antler, into all the veins, and pushing all the blood out. So. When you just spray it, where's all the blood going? It's not going anywhere. 
right? It seems very superficial. It does. But I've heard nothing but good things about it, so I might have to try it. But I don't, I'm not going to try it on somebody's set of antlers that I, I'm going to experiment on. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, and I heard uh, something about like a full bottle, like on a deer, or um, I heard someone try to do that on an elk here recently uh that was was hit by a hit by a car and and the place where they got that stuff from said five bottles just soak it five bottles wow yes yeah, soak it in there and let it drip off of there so you are like fully saturating that but this bull that they're going to do it on is a giant bull giant bull um and so it uh it'd take a lot to get that all soaked up, but you just spray it and spray it and spray it. I've always kind of wondered if, uh, that wouldn't be ideal for those early archery hunters just to have that at the back of the, in the, in the truck or just have that, would, that available. I would definitely say that that would be something that people should look into. Um, but either way, I would say while it's in the drying process, they should keep it in a cooler and if it doesn't fit in the cooler, put it, put it in the pickup in the AC because, I had a guy drive his antlers up here once in the back of his pickup, and I mean, that skin's only a eight inch thick, maybe. Hmm. What about Just what about handling the antlers? Like I've I've I see guys like grabbing it by the antler and like dragging and moving around. What's the what's the trick to? I mean, you got to move your animal around a little bit. Um, yeah, I would say. If you can limit dragging your velvet bucks, the better. I, my wife, she shot a deer last year, her velvet whitetail. And, uh, I mean, sometimes the velvet's still stuck on the antler good enough to where you can move it around a little bit, and it's okay. But just her picking up the ant, just picking it, picking it up just to hold it, it the velvet kind of. It seems like it shifts. Yeah, it just shifted and ripped. So I had to fix that, but it was really, really loose. So all we did was we just held it really gently, took some photos, and then set it down and then cut it up right there. Yeah. yeah it was really soft. It, I mean, it would have came off probably the day, that day, or the next day. It was ready to go. But What's that stuff called? Is like Velva Lock or something like that? Vel- Velva Lock. Um, it comes in an orange spray bottle. Definitely something to look into if you're going to go um, chase, especially muleys. I would say muleys rub roughly a week, maybe a week and a half after whitetails do. Um, September 15th, you still could see a muley with velvet. Uh, if you're going to go hunting in that time frame, you probably want to look into getting that unless you're close to town or close to close to a freezer. So Right. So what other mistakes do you see frequently come into the shop, animals that are headed your way? Not as so much with deer, but elk, in, in, um, specifically elk. People don't, uh, they don't know where to cut it. So, and because of that, they leave like eight inches of neck still attached to the, to the animal or to the head when they bring it in. And I'll tell you what, that neck is so big and um, just holds so much heat that I see a lot of elk that their necks slip um, 
right when they drop them off. So it's a really uh, a sad day when you you wait 30 years for your elk tag and bring it in and the capes toast. So yeah, so most people that have and, and a lot of hunters have taken some of the taxidermists. Uh, you do have to do a semi half cape job where you run your knife up the back of the neck and maybe walk us through the, those cuts of where we just cut the head off and the head still has the, the hide on. What's the, what's your yep. preferred cuts? So some taxidermists, they, they don't like sewing, so they prefer to not, uh, cut it all the way down the back. But in my opinion, if I cut it all the way down the back, it's actually faster for me to sew it up than it is to mess with it. Um, so when, every time I tell somebody that shoots an elk, I say, just go from the back of the skull right between the ears, um, and just make a straight line right down the back. I mean, that's, that's a good way to butcher it. That's a good way to do a lot of things. Um, and then you can skin it out all the way and then cut the head off right at the, at the joint, the last joint at the skull. It makes your pack a lot lighter. <laughs> yeah. And from that point, you can, you don't have to make the cut on the chest, right? By doing that, if you cut the, cut at the knees. Nope. Well, if you're packing it out, um, there's really no reason to even gut it if you do it that way. So. Yeah. Right. And um, you can get the tenderloins out without gutting it from the, if you take the loins out, you can get the tenderloins out. Right. Exactly. So. Just that one cut down there, and then skin down the skin the rest of that out without. And I'm assuming cut those knees off, and then you could just almost like tube it, like you're you're tubing a, a raccoon or something. Um, yeah, really, it's not really so much tubing it as if you cut it right on the back. Um, you can you can ring it right around the ribs for your cape, your shoulder cape, mm-hmm. and then you're just peeling it off. Um, it's not you're not trying to pull something through or just not hard at all. You just peel it, peel it uh, right off the animal onto the ground. Yeah. So the, the part that I have never attempted and I've been wanting to is skinning that face out. And I guess I've done lots of raccoons, hundreds of raccoons, tons of fox and coyotes. And I feel pretty confident in, in doing that. I've helped, taxidermists do like my some of the fleshing on my bears and um skinning us other small animals that are meant for taxidermy work but i've never attempted to bring that off and what freaks me out is every time i go to to make a european mount as i'm sitting there starting to cut stuff off every time i'm like oh my gosh how do the taxidermists do this how do you get around the pedicles how do you get that off of there how much of the eyelids how much of the nose the lips do you guys all need like what's Cause if you could remove the whole skull of the head and you just had a skull cap, um, or I mean, just, the just, the um, just the European. Yeah. 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 You're going to, that's, you, that's you, really what I do when I pack out my animals. Cause it makes it so much lighter. I can get rid of the bottom jaw, but if people have never done it before, it's kind of intimidating. Um, obviously it's going to be hard to explain, um, sure. in detail about showing somebody, but I can give it a shot. Yeah. So prior to, um, cutting it all the way down the back and all the way down the neck from between the ears, 
I make what they call a Y cut. So it's essentially two cuts that meet um, at the back of the skull from each antler. So there's essentially just like two, three inch cuts that meet in the middle. Um, Well, that goes right to the back of the antler. Well, if you get a heavy duty knife, you can pry the, instead of more of a cutting, you can pry the skin off of the antler right around the bases. If you do have a screwdriver, that works as well. Um, if you start to cut the skin there, you might end up with cutting some some slices in the top of the skin there, right where it meets the antler. Um, but that's, that's one of the – there's three hard spots. That's the first one. Once you get past that, you get both antlers um, clear of the skin – you can start peeling this. It's impossible to do this without the head detached. Um, just because the skin won't move. But the head has to be detached from the neck. You can pry the skin off of the antlers. Essentially tubing out the head that way. When you get to the eyes, the eye orbit, you're going to want to stick your finger in the eyeball. And it'll... And you can pull on it. I need quarter inch of eyelid skin on the inside of the eye that's the biggest spot that i see people cut holes if they ever bring something to me is they cut a hole in the eye and it is fixable but it's it's the main part of the mouth that everybody looks at is the eyeballs so i would i would suggest that people just be really careful around the eyes pull stick your finger in the eye and pull um and that skin will stretch you can see where it is and then you can cut it clean. Um, the tear ducts, you have to really understand what that is. I mean, the tear ducts go into the skull. Um, and that little sinus that runs up. Yeah, the front of the eye. Antelope don't have it. Um, but deer, well, whitetails have the little one. Mule deer have a quite a bit bigger tear ducts than a whitetail. But like an elk is almost an inch into his head. So you kind of got to know what that looks like. It is okay to cut a hole in that if it's far enough in um, on an elk, but that's kind of a tricky spot as well. You're going to want to be pulling. If you just pull on the skin and try to pull it off instead of cutting it, that's probably your best bet to see what you're cutting instead of just letting it fall. Um the next hard spot is the nose and the lips. So the lips I do have to have like the inside of the mouth. I tuck that lip skin up into the form when I mount it and it holds everything together. Um, do if you pull what's that? No, go ahead. I'm, <clears throat> I'm just, I'm staring at an elk European mount. I'm just visualizing this as you're as you're going. Yeah, well, I'm trying to. I'm looking at an elk right now. I'm trying to <laughs> explain how I how to go about this. So when you, I would say if you can grab the bottom lip and pull wherever it attaches to the jawbone is where you're going to want to cut. So you're not going to want to cut right at the tops of the lips. Um, right, right where it attaches to the jaw, there's a line there. Um, just cut that all the way around, and then you can start peeling it back that way. The nose is tricky, so about uh, maybe three inches of an elk's nose 
from the tip of his nose back towards his eyes is all cartilage. And you can cut that with a knife, no problem. But you're going to want to make sure that you have enough because I need the inside of the nose to uh, to make the mount. So there's the same line as there is on the bottom jaw. If you pull in the top lip, you can see that line. you got to cut that. But you're also going to have to cut through the cartilage and make sure you don't cut too far and cut a hole in the top of the skin. Right. What? This, that's one of those spots where it's hard to explain without showing somebody. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the anatomy anatomy thing that most people don't know about on the lips uh are you needing like to open the mouth and cut on the inside and then come back and skin skin yes, that you're gonna want to open the mouth um many times when you shoot an animal his mouth is kind of locked shut so that's not necessarily uh, a huge deal because you just have to you just have to um, spread his lips um, to cut it out. Oh, sure. Okay. So lift that lip up and then make that cut so that you can, <clears throat> you, I guess you have an, a skinning ending point once you start skinning that nose out. Yeah. Got it on. is It is challenging to skin the nose out um, from any direction other than the front. So I would suggest... Um, doing the lips before you uh, like tube the rest of the face out. Like after you do the eyes, you can move on to the lips, get those taken care of and then just finish skinning it out and it'll come out sure. or it'll come off clean. What's, what's the time frame of this whole thing? And obviously you have a lot more experience doing that, but say for the average person, what's the time frame of maybe an elk versus a deer, <clears throat> that you should so expect a deer i've had better luck with waiting longer obviously the sooner the better i mean if you shoot it and you got time to bring it over or put it in the freezer or something just do that right away i would say an elk if you can get the neck skinned out where there's no neck um left in the hide you probably got a day on decent weather, if it's in your garage out of the sun. If it, the neck is in there, I would say it's hours, maybe eight to ten hours, and it's going to start to be a little pungent. Um, but later season, in the, when you're hunting deer, like November time frame, I mean, people let them hang for three days, and it's probably okay. I would say... Um, a week is pushing it. I've had them come in where they're a little, they smell, have a little bit of a smell to them. Mm. Um, but rarely are they toast. And, and that answers another question. I was thinking to time frame on how long would you expect the average guy to take to skin out that face? I would say you're going to want to, plan for half an hour maybe okay that's just always my i always feel like i get an animal down it's like okay go time gotta get going and i just never can just chill out spend the time um that's never my moment of eating anything on a hunt it's always my moment of let's go um yeah even no, I, I, that 
<clears throat> even though it, it would be nice sometimes to just like sit there and enjoy it for a minute. Um, but it's like, I, I want to get my knife running. I want to get it going and I want to get it, get it cut up. And, and antelope, I think is one that I'd, that for sure for me is always a get it cut up now and get so it's it hot outside. Yeah. Yeah. Get it cooled. I would um, say my, every time I shoot something I get it down, um, obviously I take my pictures that probably takes 20 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. and then we start cutting it up, but I, I do take the extra time and skin out the face. And once you do that, you can take the bottom jaw off and that's five pounds right there. Sometimes especially yeah. on an elk, it's even more, um, most of the time when I'm shooting something, I'm not exactly close to my pickup. So right. the less weight is more fun. Yeah. Uh, I keep saying this. I'm going to try it this year. going to try it this year. And maybe this year is the year. Maybe. Uh, but I do want to, I do want to mess uh, or I want to, maybe that's with a whitetail unless I get a monster. Uh, that's the mount I don't have as a whitetail. Um, is maybe maybe put one of those in the wall only if it's a a really really good deer but otherwise i have no no desire to really mount one um same with a mule deer i'd it'd have to be an absolute stud which i have the possibility with a <clears throat> colorado tag i have this year so we'll we'll see but i i think i'm uh i think i'm gonna be bringing you a bear a bear sh- for a bear shoulder mount is kind of what i'm thinking okay um, is that that minnesota tag yeah yeah I've got a I've got a plan for a uh kind of a pedestal shoulder on the wall mount uh that I really okay. like uh that I think would look pretty slick really slick and I know I, a, a buddy that's got one and, and I saw a picture of even like a a big old brute of a black bear the hard thing is cutting it but I've I've got other bears so I'm not worried about it I I don't have a single inch of wall space for another rug so i might as well cut it up and and have a sweet shoulder mount and then the the rest of it can just drape over a chair or the couch or something like that yep do a back half no i tell you what when we were in canada hunting the guy that we were hunting with um that's how he did all of his bears i mean they're big 400 pound black bears and they were all shoulder mounts it was actually really pretty cool yeah yeah, that's kind of amazing, what I'm thinking. Amazing how big they are. So, yeah. no, I think that's that's the game plan. Otherwise, uh, um, this house I'm in right now does not have a lot of room. My office here is loaded with with uh, plenty of European mounts, and and uh, there's no room. <laughs> I can't even. Oh, I get you there. I don't have much room either. No, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> those uh, those uh. Spare r- rooms downstairs are loaded, <laughs> and uh, uh, you're stepping over things. It's pretty funny, but uh, so yeah. I, I guess the next thing I need to know is just uh, where can f- people find you and um, get a hold of you. Anybody that's traveling back east, I got listeners all over the country. So if if people are in the west and headed headed back home, how could how could they use you? Uh, how could you help them? Yeah, so I mean, I'm not trying to sell myself on uh, getting people to bring their critters to me, but um, I'm definitely always open to people, especially out of staters, that um, just need somebody to help them skin it. 
skin out the face because you can't transport the brains anymore across state lines. So I do a lot of that for a lot of guys, just skin it out, get it skull capped and ready to go. And then they can take it home with them. Um, occasionally I do allow some freezer space of uh, guys are here for a week and they um, need a need a spot to freeze it. That's always an option. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, I am in spearfish and um i don't i don't turn much stuff away so if you if you're in the area you get something down you you should give me a call we can work something out um my phone number is 605-639-0043 um i do have a website it's valleyviewtaxidermy.com and i'm also on facebook so yeah Perfect. Oh, uh, and I, this is a little out of order. You just plugged yourself, but I did want to ask one more question. Just how do we know we're bringing stuff to a good tax service? <clears throat> Unlike our neighbor down the road. Uh, <laughs> how do we know, uh, besides walking into their shop, um, but even some of that is some of their best stuff on the wall, the stuff that goes to the customers, not there, or it's Very stuff true. from, uh, I've even seen it from a taxidermist that it was their earlier work and that's hanging around, or it was the late husband that was the main taxidermist. And now the, this family member has done it. So you walk in, you see this really good stuff, but the work they produce is not, not at all. Um, very true. That how how are you screen? How's a good way to screen a taxidermist? I mean, really, the websites are a great way to do it. That also can be somebody's best work, so you really don't know. Um, I would say call around because I would most people, if they're good at taxidermy, they know what what it's worth to them. I would say if you if you call somebody and they're under five hundred bucks. You might want to be concerned about the quality. I mean, that's some people would rather not um, spend that type of money on something like that. So they they sacrifice the quality. But most of the good guys, if they can charge five hundred bucks and they're still open, they're they're pretty darn good. Um, as far as looking at a mount and deciding whether it's good or not, it, the only real way to decide is just look at a picture of an actual animal and decide if it looks the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at <clears throat> the shape of the nose and all that's coming out. And the, I've had a taxidermist tell me something about like a 10 foot rule or something like that of if it looks good from a few 10 feet back or whatever, it's good enough. Um, and, and that just like turned me off like, Oh, there's, but I don't know. Closer I, you get, the better it should look my opinion yeah i like that i really like that um so i can't remember who told me that but i was like you're not touching my stuff <laughs> because yeah, i always I, laugh i mean it's it's kind of a, a slap on the face but when these taxidermists they call themselves like hang them high <laughs> yeah. or like put it high on the wall or something you know that's kind of a might be a sign yeah <laughs> yeah gotta get it out of sight <laughs> put it in your put it in your back room <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it's just a bummer. You hear a lot of people that lose rugs, lose this, that. Um, I get a lot of people that come to me for for that, looking for a replacement mount because it's like they shot something and um, 
they taxidermists lost it and they're like, well, that's never going to happen again. So can you find me this exotic sheep or a bear rug or something like that? It seems like bear rugs are one of those that people lose or they hair slips. I've heard that. I've heard that so many times and it just blows my mind at how many stories there are like that. People taxidermists losing their animal or something. That's a bunch of baloney. I mean, it should be just an organized inventory process. Yeah, you would you would get your license taken away from the Cayman Fish if you didn't have it organized. So, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna come in and be like, "Oh, whose deer is that?" Or you have this on your records, but where's that? Let me see it. So it's just like a I've heard it a lot of times with, "Oh, the tannery lost it." Well, that doesn't make any sense to me either because when you send it to the tannery, you put your name in three spots on the on the skin and. Huh. They record all that. They send it to you when when they get it, and it's pretty much bulletproof system. I just I'm amazed at how many people lose their animals, or the taxidermist says that they lost their animal. I just think it's really just an unorganized mess is when that happens. So hmm. yeah, they probably haven't even lost it. They probably just have it tucked in their in a corner somewhere, and they don't know where it's at. Yeah, a lot of taxidermy shops are kind of a mess. So yeah. I uh I ended up with a bunch of bear skulls, bobcat skulls, um a bunch of different stuff from a tax service. Like it's been sitting in there for years. Like, oh my gosh, some poor hunter. <laughs> They've got multiple. Probably poor didn't hunters. even get probably didn't even get notified it was done. Yeah. And uh, I just got a, the raw raw skulls and and finished them. Um or like I bought a whole truckload of antlers of stuff people didn't pick up or stay or pay for, or it's like, there's gotta be something in there that they've been waiting for it or something, but there's, there's zero inventory and uh, just these antlers in a rafter. Um, seriously, I got a heaping truckload full of wonderful stuff from a 200 inch mule deer, 202, uh, down to like just, average whitetails and everything we're in between so it was a that was a good buy i like that one <laughs> uh, well anyway i'll let you uh get back to your day and i appreciate you coming on and chatting with me a little bit good timing on this for people about to hit the field uh with our antelope season underway in some western states and and here in south dakota it's just about ready to roll so good luck to you in the the rest of your season and and uh and thanks for coming on yeah, well, I appreciate you having me. Um, hopefully you have a great season as well, and hopefully we help some guys uh, figure out what they need to do and how to take care of their critters. So, Absolutely. All right, well, we'll see you. We'll catch up with you later. Thank you. Land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.